Welcome to Behind the Tools. Here's Tradeify CEO and your host, Michael Steckler. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Tools. Um, this week, we have Jared Sharp over in Perth, Australia from Sharp Air Conditioning. Um, it's been a while since we had someone who's in uh, Aircon, actually. So, Sh- Jared, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you having me. No, I appreciate you giving up the time. I know you're a, you're a busy man. Um, so you're in air conditioning. Do you want to maybe start by just telling us kind of how you got into the how you got into the business? What prompts you to become um, a tradesperson? Yeah, for sure. So I wasn't overly keen on finishing high school. Um, just wasn't really for me. Um, Dad entered the trade in the eighties, and he'd been doing that. He just said it was something to do that would be quite profitable, especially in Western Australia with our very hot and dry summers. So I thought, you know, I don't want to finish. What am I going to do? And I just thought I'd give that a crack. And at least then I thought, um, no matter what happened, I'd have a trade to fall back on. So, right. yeah, I just thought I'd get stuck into that. And that's how it all began. So it's not, not an uncommon story to have sort of a family member that's already in the trades. And um, did, do you think that helped get you over the line in terms of deciding to go down that path? Yeah, for sure. It was, I was a very undecisive. I really didn't know what I wanted to do at all. So um, it was just honestly a suggestion. Like I was going to pick a trade and I think uh, air conditioning is probably one of the cleaner trades out there, especially when you get started. So I thought it'd be a good one. Um, almost everyone's going to need an aircon mechanic. Um, so yeah, that's just what I thought I'd do. And yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Still do. And how did you uh, how did you get into aircon? Uh, into did you, did you did you start an apprenticeship with, with the firm or how did you get actually yeah, into, yeah yeah exactly so you do a four year apprenticeship so I just started working for a local air conditioning company I started off my apprenticeship doing commercial air conditioning so we mainly did like a lot of high rise buildings and just big commercial spaces as opposed to residential. Yeah. And then um, I finished off my apprenticeship with another company um, who sort of did um, air conditioning, more residential appliance repairs, all that sort of stuff. So that's sort of how I picked that side of it up. And what prompted you to change companies when you were doing the apprenticeship? What prompted you to go to the other company? I just wasn't learning a lot. The problem with a big company, especially one that does commercial work, is you just get used, um, really just used as like a glorified cleaner, I suppose. And when I went into it, I really knew like I wanted to be successful and everything I do, I try and give it 150%. So I just wasn't having the opportunity to learn. And I found all the learning I would do was at TAFE. I wouldn't get any hands-on experience. I'd come to TAFE once a week. All my friends would be saying, I've done this, I've done this. Whereas I spent the whole week sort of cleaning. And I found that which is fair enough as like a, maybe a first year apprentice, you're getting into it, you build right. up a bit of like work ethic, but coming into my third year and towards the end of my third year and still not having much knowledge on like actual repairs and stuff, I just thought it's just not going to work. So I was, sort of had a chat to my boss like numerous times and said, look, I really want to just be put on some other jobs. You know, we've got 10 technicians on the road, like people are doing this stuff every day. I'm just not having that opportunity to to do it because it wasn't making them as much money, unfortunately. Yeah. So I, I did try and say, look, I really want to, this is what I want to do. And it just kept sort of getting shut down to a point where I just said, all right, I'm just going to do my fourth year with another company. 
So that's that's how it started. It's not how I wanted it to go, but it ended yeah, up being yeah. really, really good for me, for sure. Sort of launched everything. And what what is the? I mean, that's not it's not completely uncommon. What do you think drove drove their behaviour in terms of not allowing you to sort of get more involved and get more on the tools? I think just take because they were such a big company, just taking on a lot of work, and they just didn't have the manpower to do some of the cleaning jobs. And the tradesmen, if they were put on that sort of stuff, like that had obviously like upset them. That's not what they want to be doing every day. So the yeah. best thing to do is you just put an apprentice on it and then you can just leave them alone to just, you know, clean for weeks on end sometimes in these massive buildings. And that's it. You just let them do it. And it's it's obviously very profitable for, for the companies to do that. And they just make a lot more money off it. You know, it doesn't slow them down because you just go off and, and do it, I suppose. So unfortunately, money, um, when it comes to that, drives a lot of that. And yeah. it sort of yeah. does... Um, it doesn't make it overly good for the the young apprentices trying to learn some stuff and become good at the trade. Yeah, and then they have a gap because you, you could obviously have a qualified technician there that that you're not going to get because it's not going to you know you might end up being qualified eventually from what you're doing at TAFE, but not from being on the tools and having. That oh, for sure, which is, which is really important. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think that's the other thing. It's like this is sort of like always got the speech. Oh, you know, you'll you'll pick it up later. But I feel like it's something that if I'd completed my apprenticeship there, then I would have been stuck there because I wouldn't have been able to get a job anywhere else due to the fact that I hadn't got the knowledge yet. So rather right. than wait and just hope I can pick it up on my own, I thought I'd just be a bit more proactive and just go and and yeah take a chance on another mob who worked out really well. That's great. And then you sort of stayed there and then you eventually obviously you've, you've set up your own thing. Um your own business talk me through yep. you know when, when that happened and what prompted you to sort of go out alone yeah for sure so it was it definitely wasn't planned it's not something I ever envisioned myself doing um, basically when I got my job as the fourth year of my apprenticeship um, the company that I was working for they contracted out all of their staff so all their warranty work repairs was all subcontractors and they were planning on hiring me as the first um, employed technician and they were going to yeah. wean off the subcontractors and just start getting more full-time employees. That was the plan. After I finished my apprenticeship, um, someone over East, one of the big wigs, um, decided they're not going to do that anymore. And so they basically gave me the option to become a contractor or um, that's pretty much it. I'd have to just go and find another job. So I was kind of yeah backed into a corner, um, but I did yeah. like I picked up a lot in that year. Like I literally learnt more in probably the first six months there than I did in my entire three-year apprenticeship. They gave me like they let me just go and sort of do my thing and pick it up just by sort of doing it, which was really good for me. Um, and then yeah, so after that, they basically just said, "Look, do you want to become a contractor?" They guided me through the process. They helped me with registering everything, like insurances, business name. They just said, "Look, this is what you." have to do and then the work was actually the exact same as I was already doing yeah. as an apprentice so I already knew what was going on so it was just a matter of sending them invoices at the end of the week and everything else was pretty much the same so yeah that's how that's, it started that's, it's that's great it sounds like they were a sort of decent bunch I mean it didn't it didn't pan out on one hand but it sounds like they helped you sort oh of for sure they were brilliant to, yeah. I, I still still contract for them these days like in a smaller capacity but 
they were amazing. They gave me a van for six months, free of charge. They paid oh, wow. all my petrol and everything. They really helped me to get started just because they did feel a bit guilty because it wasn't them. It wasn't my bosses that were making that decision. It was um, huge companies. So just someone, someone a bit higher up. So they literally just completely got me started and you, know, you really helped out with everything. So, so that definitely very good. That- yeah, presumably they didn't want the overhead of permanent employees, so they just. But you still had the same level of demand of work, so it kind of worked. Oh, out for well sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Worked out really well. They yeah, they were doing that for you. They'd have had subbies for, you know, forty odd years, so they'd be doing that for ages anyway. And they just decided, no, nah, they're not gonna, um, go full time just yet. Yeah, so that's yeah, so, sort of how it happens. So that's how you end up having your own your own business. And then you know, one of the things I'm intrigued by when you, people go out on their own is you, you naturally had a sort of pipeline of work from your previous employer as a contractor. How did you approach sort of building out your own base of of customers for your business? Um, basically, slowly. It was very a uh, very slow process. So I just started advertising on Gumtree. Um, I yeah. started at one point just dropping flyers into people's letterboxes just sort of walking around the neighborhoods yeah. and that sort of stuff. And then later on, I got into Facebook and joined some local chat pages and that they've been really good. They sort of launched everything into the next level. But before that, right. it was just steadily, um, steadily picking up my own stuff to a point where I just couldn't like contract much for them at all. It just wasn't like as profitable to, to stick with contracting for them. So I just yeah started almost completely doing my own thing for a while cool and and what what play, what sort of gave you your first set of leads was it the leaflets did that work uh oh, it's hard to say i didn't really like follow up on where i actually got the jobs yeah. from that's yeah. probably the downfall i didn't actually see where these jobs were coming from i just kind of did them which we do now we always ask our clients how they found us just so we can sort of see where we can put more you put know more time money. into yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and so yeah, they just sort of came from, I guess, all over though. It must have been a mixture of Gumtree and um Facebook and flyers and it pretty much everything to start with. Yeah, and then once you got those, I mean one of the common problems uh, I think we see in this business is you know, sometimes your first customers aren't always your best customers. Sometimes they are. Um how did you identify or did you did you not care as much in terms of people that were the sort of customers you would want in the future that were going to pay enough and all those those types of things. Sometimes sort of via Gumtree or those sort of classified sites often attracts people that want the cheapest, you know, oh, cheapest, for sure. jo- cheapest job. How did how did you think about that? Did you think about that at all? Did that was that an issue as you took on new work? Uh, initially, not really, to be honest. I just wanted to get as much work as I could get, yeah. so that wasn't really a concern of mine. Um, where I, I like I needed the work when I started off because I just didn't like I wanted to fill the entire weeks with my own stuff so I was just taking on literally anything like I'd drive like an hour away from my house just to do a, a simple job you know sort of so I just literally I just took everything I could get to right. be honest and yeah yeah and how, did, how, how did that how did that play out was the work generally good or was there customers that you got that you kind of you know you're looking back now probably wouldn't wouldn't take Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I was definitely the cheaper end um, when I started. Um, I was probably yeah, sort of the cheapest. Um, right. So r- now I'm definitely not the cheapest, um, but our quality is exceptional. Nothing's changed even since I've taken on 
another technician, um, our quality of work is really on point. We'd be the best in in the West, I would say. So we, yeah, we're, we're able to charge um, fairly for the quality now. Whereas before it was just like, yeah, I need to pay the bills. So I better get some yeah, work course. in sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It makes total sense. And um, you know, what was the you know you, you came from being an employee, then a then a contractor. What was the hardest thing once you sort of did have to? You talked about paying the bills. I mean, what was the the hardest thing once you switched over to going sort of fully against your own business? Uh, just finding work. I think initially was um, I was pretty privileged. I was still living with mum and dad at the time, so yeah. if I didn't have masses of work, you know, it's not like I had heaps of bills to pay sort of thing so I was able to yeah. start slowly which is really fortunate because a lot of people don't have that option so it's either you get work or you you don't eat sort of thing you can't pay the rent right. so yeah. I was very fortunate in the fact that like I'd put everything into it but if I wasn't like some weeks I'd make next to no money when I started like you know with fuel and everything and I'd drive so far I'd literally just make next to nothing so it just slowly started building up from there um, and then, yeah, so that, I guess that's how it sort of, that's probably the most challenging thing was just getting the work in initially. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, you, you talk about you, you're mainly residential, you do some commercial. What is your favorite type of work now that you've been doing it for, for a while? I definitely prefer commercial. Like I love, the best thing about residential is the customers because I do love um, talking to customers and sort of everything's different. Every job is different. You always meet different people and everyone's got sort of an interesting story. So that's what I love about residential. Um, but commercial is just, it's just very easy. It's, you know, most of the parts I'd sort of carry or I can get from my supplier at no notice because yeah. it's a shelved item. Um, you go there, you just, you deal with the reception or whoever, you know, whoever's the manager or whatever it is, and you just fix it and you just get paid for it. So it's definitely, it's more profitable. It's, it's similar difficulty, but it's just, yeah, it's more profitable work because a lot of the work's a bit more urgent. Like if someone's got a call room going down and yeah, they've yeah, got heaps of stock in there, they, they sort of need to get it fixed. So as long as you look after them, they will just, you know, they won't ask you for pricing. They'll just say, yep, I've got a breakdown, come out, fix it and send us the bill sort of thing. And how do you think about that longer term? Are you thinking about doing more commercial because of that? That's what you've just outlined? Yeah, for sure. I'd like to get into 50-50 commercial residential because I think at the moment we probably only have about 10% commercial because we just do so much residential work. Um, but yeah, definitely I'd like to go for a 50-50 split and I'd like to get one technician eventually who specializes in commercial right. refrigeration. Whereas my background's more like I can do both, but my background's more air conditioning. Whereas yeah. I'd like to, yeah, just get someone specializing in just commercial, the side of things, so they can just do that is the cool. goal. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great goal, you know, especially considering what you've just said. And and how will you approach that? And there's the hiring side of it, but how are you going to approach sort of winning more commercial work, or is there is there an approach to that that's different? Uh, yeah, I think we just need to get out a bit more. It's just been so crazy. Like um, we've tried to business develop and, and dad originally started business developing. Um, he sort of built our builders um, side up quite a lot, but we've just run out of time to get out there and right. actually build the business. And we're just trying to keep on top of the leads we've got coming in at the moment. 
So we just don't have those spare days to go out and drive around the commercial areas and sort of just meet people and say, look, this is what we do. So that's what we're going to do eventually. It's just, um, yeah, been so crazy. We just haven't had any time for it. So we'll definitely be able to get the work. It's just about putting in that time to, to go out and sort of get it really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when you, when you're doing residential work, one of the things that intrigued me, I think when we spoke to you before this, uh, was you talked about things that you'll sort of look out for how to spot customers that you may not want. I'm quite intrigued to dig into that because it's really helpful for people that are thinking about starting out and taking those sort of first jobs. Some of which I think you do need to take just to get a portfolio of work and get your name out there. But are there, are there warning signs you see when you meet customers, which make you think I don't want to work with this, with this, this customer in particular? Yeah, I'm pretty good at like gauging um, people just off talking to them. So you do pick that up, just like little words they might use, like if they're sort of throwing out cheap or free. Yeah. Um, you know, it's stuff like that. You can sort of just say, oh, you, you know, they're not going to be a, a valuable client. So it's something that, yeah. um, and I'd still send them a quote as per normal. I'm not just going to ignore them because that's just not, not how we operate. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'll send them a quote and I know 100% I'm not going to, it's not coming back. Like I'm not going to win the work. Right. Um, so you just sort of pick it up just off that sort of stuff, especially in the peak of summer, because we just have so many inquiries, like it's absolutely insane. And some of them, sometimes like if they'll leave a, a voicemail, like I'll respond to it. But if I just get calls and like, or a text saying, you know, like, can you do this, price me for this or something, I just sort of, sort of let some of them sort of go to be honest because you just know they're not going to be valuable yeah yeah i was saying especially sort of in some of some of you there and it gets what does it get to it gets pretty hot right yeah pretty hot we had a uh this summer gone we probably had the hottest is probably like three four consecutive 45 odd degree days which is quite quite warm (laughs) so that was uh it sends everything into a bit of a frenzy i sort of just have to um, put my phone on silent in those days and just do the yeah. work because we just can't like I'll get 40 plus calls a day in the peak of oh, summer wow. and I just can't deal with them also because I'm still on the tools as well yeah, um, yeah it's just hard to take calls and um, yeah do that while I'm sort of on job sites and stuff so yeah, that's, and, cra- um, that's crazy that's a crazy crazy number and how do you think about resourcing um, against that is there any point where you think it's worth hiring someone else earlier just for that period to help you out or to even manage yeah some of that for sure stuff. yeah for sure so even having another tech on board because i hired a technician um in september and without him it would have just been an absolute crazy summer i don't even know yeah. if i would have survived it so we had him and we're still able to split but i do need to look at getting someone in the office at least part-time and mum sort of said she'd be interested in um, doing that, just dropping a day at her job and, and maybe doing a day in the right. office to start off with. And, and then we'll just sort of see if we can build up from there. And I think eventually she'd just like to come into the business um, as well and just work part-time just for us sort of thing. Yeah. So I'd like to um, like explore that probably coming into next summer. And then I can literally just focus on being back on the tools and, other bits and pieces so that that's the plan for that yeah it's good to hear you got a plan that seems to be um you know the smart way to approach it is outsourcing the things that you either um don't enjoy or more importantly just don't have the time for right you just described it if you've got 40 phone calls coming in a day and you're trying to get oh for sure 
it's impossible to manage that. Whereas if you had someone in the back office, I guess they could they could take those calls and oh, take yeah, mate, yeah, take it, the yeah. stress off a lot for sure. So we've already outsourced like our bookkeeping and our accounting and stuff. Yeah. So that's all sort of done by third parties, and that's just saved me so much time. So I can just focus more on building the business and just getting the jobs done that we sort of already have, which has been great. Like I should have done that a long time before. Um, I actually sort of did. So that was good. Yeah, that was that was my next question was when did you decide to outsource the sort of bookkeeping side of things? When did that when did that happen? Uh, probably, probably would have been like about a year and a bit ago. It just got too crazy. And I, I was never really good at the um, sort of bookkeeping side. Like I wasn't good at all the reconciling and all the stuff that goes on behind yeah. the scenes. It, it's just not my specialty. It's like, I'm very good at what I do specifically, but all that other stuff, I've right. never learned it because I just got thrown into it. I've never, I never studied that. I never looked like YouTube how to do it, but like all the time I'd waste trying to figure out how to do it. I could just make more money just doing what I'm good at and then just outsourcing it to someone who's not going to make any errors. They're just going to always be on time, you know, remind me to pay my tax on time, all the stuff I just forget because it was just so crazy. So that's when I decide, like, I've got to, I've got to outsource it. It's just too, too much. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's the this the smartest move for most people because you're right. Actually, I think sometimes it's seen as a cost, but it it tends the cost tends to you know the benefits outweigh the cost. I think eventually because, like you said, it's you can be focused on the things you're good at and you don't get that oh, for sure. Of, you know, trying to come back and deal with those things. And yeah, exactly. anything, any, anything else that you sort of looking back? Um, you know, there's a lot of people set up their own companies, anything else you look back on, I think you would have done differently apart from just even the bookkeeper possibly. Is there anything else you would look back on that you would have approached differently when starting out on your own? Um, I definitely would have got trade if I two years earlier, that would have helped me out a hell of a lot because uh, without, because I was just doing everything pen and paper. Everything I did was on my diary. Um, for years, right. I was managing all my jobs and all my rebook for parts and everything, just writing it down in, in a diary and that was just an absolute mess and it was sort of normal for me because I was I got used to it but right. just I'd forget things and I'd write it too small and I couldn't read my own writing if I was in a hurry so I'd be like oh, what's this for and um, these days it's all just on a screen and I just everything sort of you know right in front of me and it's makes my life so much easier a friend told me to get onto right. about a year and a half ago and that yeah made a massive difference so I definitely would have done that earlier for sure yeah, cool. That's good to hear. And I appreciate you using it. And um, yeah, I mean, it seems that those are the things, right? Job management software, bookkeeping or an accountant that supports, you know, what you do there and then potentially kind of outsourced uh, or someone who's part of the company, as you've described, you can help you with those, um, you know, back office, for want of a better word, functions, right? Which includes managing that sort of lead gen, lead gen side of things. Oh, it's just, I think definitely those are the things. I think everything else I think we've done um, pretty pretty well to be honest like everything else has gone pretty smoothly so it's just that sort of side that that's the only thing I really would think I would have done earlier yeah and is there anything else that's sort of changing for you industry-wise or you know with sort of post I, would, I want to use the word carefully post-covid but um, that you've seen significant changes you've had to adapt to in that in that period um I mean, the obvious sort of like physical, you know, mask wearing and social yeah. distancing, um, everyone sort of had to abide by. And sometimes that can be a bit tricky because a lot of customers um, somehow in this day and age, you know, still anti-vax or whatever it is. And 
you don't know that going into someone's house sort of thing. So you get there and they're like, oh, you can take your mask off. It's like, nah, you know, I'd rather keep my mask on. I'd prefer if you just sort of stayed in the other room sort of thing. So I just get all the guys to make sure they're doing that and just being careful about that sort of stuff. And even now, even though it's sort of getting to the tail end of it, hopefully, we still like to keep on top of that because COVID, like having an ice, I've just had uh, my brother had to just isolate for the last week because he was a close contact. And it just does affect everything quite a lot. Like it might not seem like it, but when you're a small company like mine, having one person off really makes everything else a lot more um, hectic to sort of manage. So we're just pretty careful on that side of it. Um, But in terms of work and stuff, we just like skyrocketed because everyone was staying home. Everyone was getting stuff done and they had money to do things because they couldn't go on holidays and, yeah so that side of it just like boomed and that happened luckily for the most part that happened just after our summer rush um so that was it was manageable but we went through the busiest winter we've ever seen straight after the the sort of main main lockdowns and all that sort of stuff fantastic well it sounds like business is booming and it's really good to really good to hear that you know you went out there and went out there on your own and it sounds like things have really really picked up what do you think as if you could summarize what is there anything you think you do as a company that really has helped drive that or made that possible uh, I think just hard work to be honest and, and long hours it's um, it's pretty when you start off you don't really realize how crazy it's going to be but you spend a lot of your time working you definitely spend more time working than not working yeah. and to get through those like initial years you just got to put in super long hours and as long as you're sort of good at what you do, um, customer service and work ethic, those two things, anyone can excel at, at anything they do, really. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, but that yeah. was a bit bit crazy. Yeah, it sounds like it. Cool. This has been great. Jared, I really appreciate you giving up the time and talking us through your experience. It's really useful. I said some great, great stuff in here that people would find um, super helpful if they're starting to think about going out on their own or even already out on their own and not, not doing some of those things. We always finish on a um, sort of few, sort of few questions we finish up on. I'd be quite keen to see where you, where you land. If it wasn't air conditioning, what would you, which trade would you have picked? Do you think? Um, I'll probably maybe electrical. I think they're probably the only two trades I would actually consider doing, to be honest. Cool. Yeah. And there's sort of some similarities there. So that makes sense. And then if you had a, a choice of any work vehicle, uh, we do like an annual van games and it's always intriguing to see sort of uh, people's sort of setup. What would it be? Uh, I just bought a last year's model high ace, which is really working well for me. So that's, uh, it's what I wanted. So I, yeah, I've, I've got, got my dream vehicle for now. Um, I like when I get off or semi off the tools in, in a few years, hopefully I'd like to get a land cruiser or something just like a Ute. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably my dream car, but in terms of vans, yeah, I've, pretty set up at the moment with mine so i'm pretty happy with that cool and then if you won um sort of a thousand bucks on a scratch card or the like which uh, which tool would you tool or tool brand would you buy uh that's a hard question i guess i've got like all i've pretty much got everything i need tool wise maybe like a buy another drill or something but um yeah. yeah, I've set myself up pretty well over the years. So I don't don't buy too many new tools these days. I've got a pretty uh, good setup. And when you do, you do you have a preference for brand when you think about drills? Um I use Bosch Blue at the moment. Yeah. Um I use Makita for years. They're both 
really good, so I'm pretty happy with them. So I'd probably buy something. Yeah, yeah, something similar. Cool. Sure. And then when you're there, um, you know, and you want to treat yourself to a to a lunch when you're on site, what what would you usually go for? Um, I usually try and support like sort of smaller businesses, like local yeah. lunch bars and stuff. Just get a sandwich or something. I'm not overly sort of fancy, and I. I usually eat on the go because I don't don't really sort of stop and sit down for lunch. It'd be just grab yeah, something. So now you got time, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it. So yeah, it's usually just like a sandwich from a lunch bar or something like that. So usually sufficient. Cool. And then you know, if there's anyone else, um, I'm quite intrigued. If there's anyone else you come across that you think would make for an interesting conversation with us on this on this show. Uh, well, in terms of trades or people, trades or or, or people, because I think one of the things actually, I mean, I'm quite keen to do is actually potentially speak to kind of you know thinking about commercial for example speaking to a commercial building manager and thinking through how they how they pick a trade i think is quite an interesting conversation but yeah it can be quite broad and anyone yeah yeah i mean yeah speaking to someone who owns a building building company would definitely be interesting especially in these times with a lot of builders going bust and whatnot and all the materials sort of prices skyrocketing it'd be interesting yeah. i guess to see how they are able to sort of get by and yeah, how they decide who they're going to use and whatnot, especially with a lot of people sort of pulling out to do other things. It's interesting to see how they can sort of tie it together for sure. Yeah. I think you've spoken to pretty much most trades from the sort of podcasts that I've sort of viewed. So you've got a good, yeah. a good basis covered already. Yeah, cool. Great. Well, Jared, thanks. I know you're you're a busy man, so I really appreciate you spending the time before you sort of kick into your day. Um, no worries. And it sounds like things are great, and so it's always good to have these success stories, and they're pretty inspirational for other people thinking about getting into it with that, without obviously not understating the, the level of hard work it took to get there, and still does by the sounds of it. So, good luck with the uh, continued success and finding a technician and getting into commercial. It sounds like an exciting journey, which we'd love to check in in the future and see how that see how that plays out for you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate your time. No, you're welcome. And as always, to everyone else that's listening, watching, we appreciate it. And if you have any comments, uh, questions, and if you could give us a nice uh, review across your chosen platform, we'd appreciate it. Um, until next week. Cheers. Bye. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Behind the Tools is brought to you by Tradeify, job management software for your trade business. If you enjoyed the podcast, let us know by leaving a review. And be sure to tell your mates about it. Email behindthetools at tradifyhq.com if you or someone you know would be keen to join the show as a guest.